very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, well, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, go to our website and click on subscribe. You'll be able to listen to every single episode from day one. And if you want to give your life an upgrade, and I really mean it, because it has given me an upgrade, go to sanitasradio.com and experience you are missing. And by the way, if not yet, at the time of uh, recording this episode today, we have an affiliate program in place. And I know many of you recommend people all the time on Veritas or Sanitas. So now we have a way to reward you by giving back to you. So visit either website and become an affiliate. And to get in touch with me, you want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest recommendation, or simply want to write to me, I always love to hear from you. Just click on the contact button of our website. Henry David Thoreau wrote, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Apply that statement to the alien abduction phenomena, and we have the story of Byron Lacey, who wrote a book with his story. The book is titled Chosen, Chronicles of an Alien Abductee, which states mainly that most abductees lead lives of quiet denial and go to the grave with their life story still unsung. After spending more than 50 years in his own quiet denial, Lacey has two sequential alien-related realization events, both too far beyond random chance, to be anything but a direct message from a non-human intelligence designed to rouse him to investigate the alien presence in his life. It has, and still is, a journey of self-discovery and rediscovery of the alien influences that have had life-altering consequences for him since early childhood, and to tell all of his story directly from Nacogdoches, Texas. I would like to welcome Byron Lacey. Hello, Byron, and welcome to Veritas. Thank you, Mayor. Did I say the town correctly? Uh, Nacogdoches. Nacogdoches. Okay, I was pretty close. This is where the space shuttle crashed. Oh, is that right? Uh, Yes. The the, uh, Columbia. Yes. That's right. Challenger. People get confused. Challenger and Columbia Challenger 86 and 2002, wasn't it? I believe so. 
It was 2000 or 2002, one of the two. No wonder the, the town name was familiar, all the debris that was scattered all over the place there. And we, we haven't done an abductee interview for quite some time, so it's great to go back to, to our basics. We really enjoy this topic and to speak with those who have experienced all of this. When did you become aware of, of the truth about your situation, Byron? And, and as you say, there were indeed boogeymen in the closet and under the bed. Well, my first experience was in 1955, but I didn't know what was going on until 2009. And now that's uh, 50 some years after, 54 years to be precise. Why did it, why did it take so long until you realized you were being abducted? Well, in 1955, we didn't have TV shows or books or anything about aliens, space aliens. Um, and my parents never mentioned them. And after my experience in 1955, well, they told me not to talk about it. And uh, so I didn't. And it just became this free-floating memory. I always remembered it, but I never really knew what it was. And I didn't put it into the timeline of my life until 2009. So you were five years old the first time that an abduction or an encounter occurred. How did Do you remember what happened? Can you describe it? And why did you tell your parents? How did they react to it? <clears throat> I remember quite clearly. And um, as I tell the story, you'll know how they reacted. Uh, my mom had put me to bed and she had left the room one night. And I, um, <clears throat> I watched her leave the room and I turned around to face the head of the bed to lay down to go to sleep. And there were three little men standing on the side at the foot of my bed. And I could see their shoulders and their necks and their head pretty much. And that was it. Plus, the room was sort of dark except for light coming in from the hallway. So I yelled for my mom to come in the room. And she came in. And, of course, they were gone. Uh, she tucked me in told me to go to sleep that everything was fine the next night that exact same thing happened now on the third night they popped up again the minute she left the room so i yelled for her to come in there she came in and sat down on the bed and uh, she put her hand on top of my head and she said son you're just going to have to deal with these yourself because every time i come in here they're not going to be here so don't call me in here again and don't bother me with this. And then she left. Well, this time it was quite different. Instead of me just going to sleep, I turned around to lay down and there they were. They were still, they were back. And there was also an extra being in the room and he was over to my left and he was near the wall. He was six or seven feet tall and he looked like Captain Hook from Peter Pan, uh, picture book I had at that time. And I love pirates and I did for several years. So he was dressed like a pirate. Now I know now that it was probably a mantis creature, but at that time I just thought it was a pirate and he had a big pirate's hat on and a vest and he started dancing around the room and he, he danced really strangely and very awkward movements. And then suddenly I couldn't move, and I looked down to see if my hands were tied, 
and they weren't. And I looked up and the room had somehow gotten much bigger than it was before. And my bed started rotating in the middle of the room. And the pirate Captain Hook was dancing all around the sides of the room. And I was beginning to get a little bit afraid because I couldn't move. When just as I was about to get afraid, it stopped. The room was the normal size. The guys were gone. The pirate was gone. And I could move. So I laid down and pulled my blanket over my head, and I went to sleep. Now, they didn't scare me, but it was extremely, extremely confusing. And I decided from then on that if they came back, I did not want to see them. So every time I get in bed to go to sleep, I'd pull the covers over my head. And I still do. You refer to them as pirates. Is it because of their wide black eyes that may resemble an eye patch? Yes. And because of the, the big one, the tall one, he was dressed like Captain Hook. And the little ones weren't, but they did have the big black eyes. And I thought of them as an eye patch. And for some reason, it didn't occur to me that they wouldn't be wearing two eye patches and be able to see. When your mother said that you're going to have to deal with this yourself, was she saying this because she suspected that maybe it was your imagination, or did she know that there was something taking place? And as Wheatley Streeper says, parents know, if they know, if this is an intergenerational issue, they know that there's nothing that they can do. Which of the two do you think applies? I think that she knew. And there are a couple of events that happened later in my life. Uh, and I believe when I was in 1961, that uh, even though at that time I was 11, I still didn't put two and two together. But when from 2009, I looked upon these two events and both of them seemed equally strange because of the response I got from my parents on the second one, um, then I knew that they knew. And I've also spoken with Marla Fries, who's a medium and worked as the tech technical advisor on the television show medium. And she told me that I was a fourth generation abductee. Another psychic has told me that. So that's pretty much what I'm going on. And that's, my that was, father's. That was my next question. Are you aware of anyone in your family, father, mother, grandparent, who also went through similar experiences since many times again, this phenomenon is multi-generational, but a lot of times parents don't want to disclose it to their children. Right, because they don't have an answer as to what to do about it. Well, as a parent, Now, me as a parent myself, I can, I don't recall. If it ever happened to me, I don't recall it at all. That's why I'm so interested in talking to people like you. But if if I knew this happened to me, I know then that it could happen to my, my offspring, and I would be very concerned because if I know there's nothing I could do, that must be terrifying for a parent. It, it depends on the parent's outlook on the whole thing. Uh, from what I was told, my father, uh, he hated them, mainly because they could come in and do whatever they wanted, and he couldn't stop them, and he was not a person... He was, he was a policeman and a prison guard. He was using to, used to stopping people if he needed to. But in, in 1961, I think that's the year, 
It was the year that the song Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight became popular in American radio. And I like that song. And one night I laid down to go to bed and it started playing in my head. And I'd never experienced that before. You know how jingles play in your head and so oh, yeah, stuff. Well, I couldn't get it to be quiet. And all night long it played in my head. And I stayed in bed all night. The next morning, mom came in to get me to wake me up and I was already awake. And I told her I couldn't go to school because I hadn't slept at all. And she was upset about that, about me not sleeping. And I told her what had happened. And I asked her if she knew why that happened. And she said that she didn't know. And uh, she took me into the living room and sat me down on the sofa with a pillow and laid me down, turned on the TV, gave me a soft drink and said to watch TV and to not go to sleep because she wanted to make sure I was able to go to school the next day. And then she went into the dining room where we had a phone mounted on the wall and she made a phone call, but I didn't hear any of the conversation or know who she had called. So I watched TV all day long and about five o'clock, my father came home and I don't even remember if he said hello to me. He just walked straight to my mother and got her and took her into the dining room. And they had some kind of conversation. And then he came out and sat down on the edge of the sofa. And he said, he said, son, if you don't straighten up, we're going to take you to a psychiatrist. Well, I didn't know exactly what he was talking about. I knew I'd tell my mom about the song playing in my head. At that point, though, I just decided I wasn't going to be able to tell my parents anything that was going on in my life because in, in 1961 going to a psychiatrist was, uh, it would, would be a stigma on anyone mm -hmm. that it happened to. Unlike today. It's like, yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, it's not quite as bad, but it is that way. So then he told me that, and I did not put this together with 1955 until 2009. But he said that in the eight, late 1800s or early 1900s, we had a female relative that told people that little men came and talked to her in her room. And they put her in an insane asylum. And that's what they called it in those days. Right. And she died there. And he said, you don't want that happening to you. He told me that we didn't talk to people about ourselves. He said that he didn't know anything about his parents that happened other than when he was with them. And now looking back at that, why would he have been brought up the little men talking to her in her room if he had not known what was going on in my room in 1955? Was it in denial? Because I know in the book you relate a couple of stories of his own synchronicities of missing a ship or missing a, a flight and then the, the air, airplane crash. Can you relate those stories? Yes. He was um, getting ready to go through this. I think it's the Strait of Gibraltar. During World War II, that is. During World War II, and he was a merchant seaman, and they were getting ready to go to England or someplace and then prepare to come back home. And he was in line. He was the last person in line to get on this particular ship. And 
a guy came up to him and said he had to get on that ship. He had to be able to catch his plane on time. And father stepped out of the way and let him take it to let him take his place and went to the next line down to another ship that was going to be leaving a little later. Well, it turned out that both ships left at the str- at the same time. And uh, dad was watching the other ship when it hit a mine and blew up completely and sank and everyone on that ship died. Then later he was getting ready to come back to the to the United States and he was waiting for an airplane. And basically the same thing happened. A man came up and asked him if he would let him take his place. And he did. And uh, he took a, he was going to take a flight that would be the next day. But, that plane took off before he left the airport and it crashed on takeoff and everybody in that plane was killed. Well, sometimes we discuss time travel here and this may sound absurd to some people, but in order to keep you alive or for you to be born, your father must have been alive. So I wonder if that had anything to do with it, but did he ever confide in you some of these but some may consider paranormal. It may be a coincidence once, but twice. That sounds paranormal to me. Did he ever confide to you why he thinks these events occurred? No, no, he did not. He also told me once that uh, in India, he was on the beach watching this Indian faker with a uh, flute or whatever it would be and a basket who got did us did the snake dance a little bit and then he actually made a piece of rope come out of that basket almost 12 feet long on a beach no trees and he climbed to the top of that rope so he was always amazed at this and when he told me this story it it started an interest in psychism in me why did it take so long again from 1955 to 2009, 54 years, until you realized you were being abducted? Well, at, at first, something would happen, like when I had cancer, um, people would talk about that afterwards, and they would say that God had saved my life. You had sarcoma, cancer, at what age? At two and a half. Two and a half, my goodness. And, and it started when I was one. I, um, I stopped my development. I got where I couldn't sit up. I wasn't interested in food. And they started take, they were taking me to a doctor in Marble Falls where we lived. He was just a regular uh, family doctor in 1952 and, well, 1951. After a year... I had not gotten any better. In fact, I had gotten some worse. And then at one point, I wasn't able to urinate unless I was laying on my side. And they sent me to a urologist in Austin, which was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, My dad said they were sitting down in the lobby waiting for the doctor to get through doing tests. And he came down and stepped out of the elevator. And dad said he was as white as his doctor's coat. And he told them that I had cancer, that I had a sarcoma, that no one lived from a sarcoma at that time. Even now, most people don't live from them. Um, he told them to have another baby so it would be less 
traumatic for them when I died. And uh, so I have a sister now. Well, they operated on me. Uh, the doctor said it was a miracle that I was even alive because uh, sarcoma spreads through your entire body very quickly. And somehow mine had grown as a stem outward into my body cavity, well, into my bladder, instead of backwards into everything else. So they were amazed that that had happened. Uh, and anyway, to make the short the story a little shorter, I lived. And do you think that the, because not only did you have cancer, but you also had other issues, breathing. I know that you used to have nosebleeds and so on. Yes. Did the quote unquote aliens, just for lack of a better term, I don't, that's how you call them, right? Do you call them anything else? Uh, I call them aliens most of the time. Do you think they had anything to do with making you feel better health-wise? Yes. I think that um, I think that they halted the growth of the cancer or just kept it from going into my body. Now, the question has come to me always, why didn't they just cure it? Uh, right. That was my can- next question. <laughs> the cancer has been an important influence on my life. For one thing, uh, it made me feel like I had some kind of a mission because everyone was saying God had to save my life. There had to be a reason God saved my life or that angels saved my life and still that there was a reason for it. Now, uh, as far as I can tell, the aliens have saved my life eight times. There may be more that I don't even know about. Can you relate the stories of how they saved your life? Yes. Um, one of my favorite ones took place in Athens, Texas in 1970. I think. Now, if any of my dates are different from the dates in the book, the book is what's correct. Sure. My, because I, I really zoomed in on getting those dates as close as possible. So anyway, um, we I was in band at Henderson County Junior College, and we always played at the homecoming, well, at all the pep rallies. We had a pep rally, and they would always be outside, and they would fire off a cannon. It was our homecoming, and we'd all, the band had quit playing. People were talking some, and uh, nothing was really organized at that point. This guy tapped tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around and started talking to him. And it was somebody I'd seen, but I'd never really talked to him before, so I thought it was odd he was talking to me. Well, but then at that point, another person tapped me on my left shoulder, and I turned to face him, and I had never seen him before. And Henderson County Junior College was small enough that even though you might not know everybody by name, you had pretty much seen everybody over the course of the year. Well, I was thinking, who are you and why are you interrupting me when I don't even know you? Well, but so before I even said hello to him, the cannon went off and it was behind, well, to my side. It would have been right behind me had he not tapped me on the shoulder. When the cannon went off, a burst of wind went across my back and I could feel it where my shirt had raised up from my pants. It went across right at the base of my spine. And out of my right eye, I saw 
my peripheral vision, I saw the guy I'd been talking to crumble to the ground. A huge crowd of people gathered around him, and I walked over there, and somebody said what had happened, and I turned around to to say something to the guy that had basically saved my life, and he wasn't there. He was gone. Never saw him again. Never saw him before. Did anybody see him? But you? I don't know. I never asked anybody. That didn't even occur to me till just now. Um, and it didn't occur to me now. Anyway, the the guys running the cannon had got over enthusiastic since it was homecoming, and they had put a double load of uh, gunpowder in the cannon which would have worked, but they also put a double wadding in the cannon. And when they set it off, it blew the back of the cannon off and it put shrapnel in three different buildings, knocking, um, knocking bricks out of the buildings. Wow. And it put a piece of shrapnel about the size of a hardball into the, the guy I'd been talking to breaking his pelvis and, of course, ripping into him. He was in the hospital for over a year. I would have probably died because it would have hit me in the base of the spine. But I'm confused. I thought the person, you didn't see him again, but somebody actually suffered the consequences of the cannonball. The the first man I was talking to when the other one interrupted me. I see. It, the, the one I was talking to first is the one that got the shrapnel in him. Did you ever ask, because I know a lot of people have uh, these experiences, but the, communi the communication is only one way. Basically, they're telling you what to do, but a lot of time it's not, you know, bilateral communication. But you've had communication with them where they actually listen to you. Did you ever ask them, you know, did you, were you part of this? Did you save my life this and other times? You know, I had... Um... I did get to talk to, I've talked to several of them psychically, not in person. It, well, there was some communication in person, but not much. And mostly from them. But anyway, I said, I've been trying to find a way to figure something out, to get some kind of evidence. And I said, why did you save my life so many times? Why did you save my life eight times? And he said, we wanted you alive. And then he left. And I'm going, that's no answer at all. Of course you want me alive. But anyway, they're sort of tricky. So you haven't been able to find out what your, or have you found out what your mission is? Because answering that question, we want you alive because, but you haven't gotten that answer yet, or have you? <clears throat> uh, in my opinion, I do know part of my mission um, two, two, two things that I was meant to do. And that's because, um, well, well, one in general is they need people to raise their level of consciousness and, um, to help the earth, especially in years to come. And apparently just normal human beings weren't doing it quite good enough. And that's probably why we've had a influx of star seed and those kind of people. And the other reason was to write this book to help other abductees to be able to live their lives more happily. Uh, there's not anything they can do about being abducted, but they can change their point of view about it. 
Now let's fast forward to April, and then we're going to be jumping around because your story is very complex. Let's fast forward to April 2009. The experience that you say was the straw that broke the camel's back. What happened? Tell us about the Stargate. I had a friend at that time that I went walking with every day because we were trying to keep in shape. Frank. And he lived in town and I live out in the country. Yes, Frank. That's, of course, not his real name. Uh, and he researched UFOs and um, Nazis and pretty much the royal families, everything. And he would show me videos about UFOs or try to. And I would fall asleep. And he thought that was very interesting that I always fall asleep. But he didn't say that at the moment. Well, one day we went for a walk. And then I went out and ate dinner and headed, then headed home. And I was sitting at a stoplight in front of a store on the main street through Nacogdoches. And suddenly a, a thing, it looked about the size of a dinner plate at first. And it looked like uh, water swirling or, and it, it expanded to six or seven feet across and six or feet seven feet up and down and it looked like the stargate from the movie stargate with kurt russell mm -hmm. except it did not have a frame around it <clears throat> well i looked at it and i wanted to make sure it wasn't in my head because i didn't want to be hallucinating so i closed my eyes and when i did it disappeared i moved my head from left to right and it did not move with me it stayed exactly where it was i looked around at the other cars because there were cars on both sides of the lot and next to me, nobody was paying attention. Everybody was talking or listening to the radio or doing whatever. The thing exploded without any sound, and the water all came out as, or whatever it was, probably plasma. But four foot from the ground, it just disappeared. It didn't hit the ground. Uh, the light changed at that particular time, and I drove on home. Well, I talked to Frank about that, and he didn't have anything to say, which that bugged me a little bit because he usually had something to say about everything. Well, a week later on the same day and probably pretty close to the same time because I'd gone out to dinner and everything, the exact same thing happened. Uh, I did the same tests to see if the Stargate was in my head, and it wasn't. Nobody was paying attention. It exploded and disappeared about four feet from the ground. Well, the, the next day, I went over to Frank's house, and I told him what had happened, and he didn't say anything. We uh, we went on our walk, and as we got back to the house, I just I had to know what he was thinking. And I said, uh, we got in his house, and I said, what do you think about what I saw? And he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I really want to know. Or I wouldn't have asked you. And he said, um, I think you're an alien abductee. I told him he was crazy and uh, that that was impossible. And he turned around to his computer and he wrote down three or four web addresses on a piece of paper and he handed it to me and he said, you need to go look these up. And, and uh so I thanked him, folded it, put it in my pocket, and left. When I got home, I tossed it on the table in front of my computer and just left it there. And he bugged me all week about looking at those websites. So finally, after about five days, I checked them out. 
And they all had 50 to 97, 98 questions that if you answered them yes, or most of them yes, there was a good chance that you were an alien abductee. Um, I answered almost every one of them yes on all three web pages. And then I also looked at a web page on PTSD because there were links on all those pages to PTSD. And I discovered that I. I had post-traumatic stress disorder and at a couple of times in my life it had been very bad. It wasn't bad right now, but that, that made me even more sure that he was probably right. You know, listen to you and I listen to many other people that I've interviewed in the past, even some of who have never wanted to, for me to broadcast the interviews. And some say it's a blissful experience. Others say they hate it post-traumatic stress disorder, the majority of them, their relationships, their marriages just fall apart. Where, and some of them say it's bad first, and then it becomes good. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Well, the, the two times I've saw them since 1955 have changed my personality, and they've changed it for the better. And also, I do have some psychic abilities. I do know things that are going to happen quite often before they happen. And I'm not talking about anything really important or earth shaking, but just stuff for me. Um, I like them. You like them even though you consider it to be post-traumatic stress disorder. I guess you have been able yes. to, 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 um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, alchemized, uh, or transmute, the negative negative into positive is that an accurate statement yes plus um now they do things to me and i don't know about it i just find the marks in the morning uh in fact they've come four times this month which is pretty excessive in my opinion uh one was day before yesterday and um my my first wife said when we were looking at one of my bruises one morning, she said, you can hurt yourself while you're asleep more than any other person I've ever heard of. So it had been going on for years. They should believe you. Well, now I didn't know what it was at that time, but we knew she knew that it appeared in the night. I mean, while I was asleep because it hadn't been there the day before. I remember the conversation with Jim Sparks and the wife had to leave because of what was happening to him. And he decided that he had to go to hotels in different states, sometimes naively thinking that he could escape them. <laughs> it's like, yes. I believe you thinking, I'm going to close my doors. But then didn't you just decide to leave the doors open? But, you know, that can actually have a human come in and that could be more negative than an alien. So did you realize afterwards that there's no escape from them? If they want to get to you, they get to you regardless of how you want to prevent that. I was in Tyler uh, Friday and Saturday of last week. And uh, Friday, I went, I was at a Paracon conference where I spoke along with quite a few other people, uh, mostly ghost hunters. But during the night, I couldn't get to sleep on Friday night. And I was going to do my presentation Saturday. And 
all of a sudden there was this weird, I don't know how to explain it. it. It was like there was a waver in my consciousness or something. And I'm going, was was I just asleep? But I didn't feel like I'd been asleep and I was wide awake. And also before that happened, I felt really good. After it happened, I didn't feel so good. And I started having a cramp in my left leg that was almost enough to make me cry. It was pretty strong, but I got rid of it. The next day, I felt really bad and had to drag through the whole day, meet people, try and act happy, do my speech. And uh, it wasn't, I looked for marks, but couldn't find any. Well, that evening, I looked again, and I discovered that the first time I'd looked, I'd been sitting down, and my calf muscle on my legs bulged out. And they had put marks on both my legs right in that shadow area. So they've taken me in hotels. They've taken me in um, my house, probably in some other people's houses too. And I know the majority, not everybody, but the majority of the people I've talked to, it seems that this happens at a certain phase when they're younger or, you know, middle, mid-age, if you will. And then it stops. You're one of those few people who have been going through this since you were crawling and it continues. Why do you think it continues? Because sometimes they have a mission, it's done and boom, they never, you never see them again. Why do you think that you're so special that they keep coming back to you? I think I'm one of them. I think that my soul, and this is what I've been told I was told this by a psychic that lives in England that reads for David Icke and gave him lots of information. I got her name out of a book and I contacted her and got a reading, which you do over email. And she told me a bunch of, well, she sends back the reading on tape. Well, an MP3. I got back the reading and she says all this stuff. It was 45 minutes. And near the end, she sort of laughs a little bit and says, and, you're not human. Your soul is from another planet and you were sent here and you are not dead on the other planet. You didn't die to come in, come here. Your body is either in a stasis or it's actually up walking around. It just doesn't have all of you in it. And she later told me that this was not actually a physical place, that it's a, another dimension and basically occupies the same space that Earth does. Is she but, implying uh, that uh, you're a mo mo somebody's avatar? In a way. I, I am human. I had to grow up human. I am a human. But uh, souls, <clears throat> excuse me, souls come from everywhere. But most of the time people die to be that. I apparently volunteered. And the other day I was watching when the, the day the Earth stood still with Kino Reeves. And this scene actually made me have tears in my eyes. Um, he goes to a restaurant and he talks to this Asian man. And it turns out the Asian man was sent here on a mission to observe. And if he was ever needed to, to give a report. And uh, he was born here. So his soul was sent here to be born, but he was aware of all of it. And he said it was the hardest mission that he had ever accepted before. Going back to what I said about your father, the fact that he was prevented from dying several times, 
do you think they knew that he was the going to be the progenitor of, of Byron Lacey and that's why they were protecting him? Yes, I do think that. And I think that for two reasons. One of the reasons is a, um, I did see a, a YouTube video of a man, and I don't remember his name, but he's pretty well respected. And uh, they taught him how to speak their language or how to read it because they can say a whole bunch in a lot less space than we can. But they showed him a file, and it had his whole life in it. But the interesting thing was it had his life beyond where he was sitting there. So they like know what's going to happen to me tomorrow or the next day. And also, there have been a couple of times they've saved my life that they had to know. Uh, they would have just had to be there instantly. So they had to know it was going to happen. One time when I was almost hit, when I was hit by a car, another time when I almost stepped off a stage onto it and knocked my head into a concrete floor. It's interesting that some of the things that you went through, you have tinnitus, I have tinnitus. You had an issue with aspartame and you'll tell us in a moment. I almost fell from a stage and almost died. I was run over by a car and, uh, you know, I can... I can count with all my toes and my fingers the times that I've been so close to dying and it doesn't happen. And of course, I have to manage risk all the time now, but some people may call me clumsy. But I, I saw your book and I'm thinking, geez, there's somebody out there who, who went through some of this stuff. And what about the aspartame part? Well, there have been a lot of things on the internet about aspartame causing depression. And I was yeah. suffering from mild depression at the time, and I'd been drinking a lot of aspartame, well, a lot of Diet Cokes, Diet Colas. And I also wanted to kick caffeine because it wasn't helping my adrenal glands. And post traumatic stress disorder, from what I've read from some doctors, it actually affects you basically through your adrenal glands. So, anyway, I quit drinking the aspartame and my depression went away. So that was great. And it went away in like two days. And then one morning I woke up and I felt horrible. They had abducted me and I didn't know at the time, but they had taken. And I don't think this is my family. I think that I'm visited by more than one group. They'd taken neurotransmitters out of my brain, but I didn't know it. So you can just imagine how you feel if your brain doesn't have all the chemicals in it that it should have. It was horrible. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Well, why uh, why cats. removing neurotransmitters? Because if I can, if I know correctly, I take lecithin and choline all the time. But you need that in order for you to be able to recollect uh, information. If they remove a lot of yes. the neurotransmitters and and the the what, what uh, what's the word when the the neurons go with each other and you get the synapses, it reduces synapses right. and you can you don't think well. Right, it, it's hard to cope with anything, and I'll find when that does happen, there will usually be a needle hole in my head. But anyway. At that time, I didn't know what was going on, and I felt so bad. I just went, well, damn, I'm just going to drink a Diet Coke anyway. It can't make me feel any worse. So I went and got one, and I drank it, and I felt better. And I thought, oh, that's really strange. So I went and looked up all the ingredients 
in colas. And they have one ingredient that none of the other drinks have. Phosphoric acid. Phosphoric acid, yes. I'm glad you said that because I'd forgotten. Anyway, phosphoric acid was almost used as a antidote to nerve gas in World War One because it when you take phosphoric acid, it causes the levels of choline in your body and in your brain to level to be normal. And nerve gas either causes there to be too much or too little, I don't remember which, which will tighten up your muscles, stop your heart, stop your breathing, kill you. So I went and bought choline and lecithin and started taking those. Then I met a guy on Facebook who told me that they were taking neurotransmitters and he had a poster that he made about it. So I then I went to the uh, health food store and got GABA, tyrosine, L-phenylalanine, all the precursors to different neural chemicals in your brain. And the next time that it happened, I took those. And I didn't feel perfectly normal, but I felt like 75 to 85% much, much better within 20 minutes instead of it having to take all of one day and sometimes part of the next to get balance back. So that was, it's, it seems safe to say to me that if you're having the symptoms of not having enough neurotransmitters and you take stuff to increase your neurotransmitters and you feel fine, that's pretty much what they're doing is taking them. Well, that have tinnitus. Some people say, oh, it's because of all the rock concerts that you attended in the 70s and 80s. That's not the case. It's uh, it's probably because of the aspartame, the overconsumption of aspartame. That's one of the 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 effects, permanent uh, tinnitus. But I've had tinnitus all of my life. As a little child, I was in, uh, it was in I think it was in junior high when somebody... Somehow we got into this conversation. I talked about hearing the forest sounds in my head because uh, it sounds like the forest at night uh, in my ears. And I have three signals in my right ear and two signals in my left ear. And sometimes there will only be one in my left and sometimes two in my right. It will change. They change in volume. Well, anyway, I was very surprised to find out that other people heard complete silence because I never had. Yeah, it's interesting that we're talking about tinnitus. I don't mean to deviate, but this is part of your story. But you may remember in the 80s when the advent of personal computers and we had these modems, uh, you know, 1,200 bucks, 2,400 bucks, and you had that screeching sound that you may hear in a fax machine or a modem. And that's the sound that once in a while I get, and it makes you wonder, could it be that that sound is there because you're actually getting a download? And this may sound out there for people, but you may understand what I mean. Yes, I agree completely. I've had that happen a few times, and actually one of them I was able to witness most of the information, that it was coming in so fast All I could remember was at the end, the summary of it was that uh, the interest we we pay on our loans are the chains of our slavery. And at that point, I worked for over a year to get out of debt. Repeat that. That sounded very interesting. Repeat that. 
the chain the the interest we pay on our loans are the chains of our slavery absolutely that's what debt is all about yes that's it and why do you think that's relevant to your story well i don't know why they showed me that but they did or they put it into my head. So it was, uh, it was a download and it sounded it when it was going on, it sounded like that. But at the same time I saw pictures and they would just flash by. They were so fast. I really couldn't hold on to anything except I just got the full gist of it. But it was like somebody putting an, an encyclopedia almost in your head in just one or two minutes. Interesting. Now, by and it uh, had that sound. Go ahead. Now, it once you found out, sound. once you found out that you were being abducted, and perhaps this was when you were very young. To whom, if any, and I know you spoke to your parents, and I know the story of what they told you to just, you know, be quiet, or we'll take you to the psychiatrist. But to whom, if any, did you confide the information? Well, in 2009, that's when I really realized what was going on. I had told people these stories about the cannon, um, all kinds of stuff, even about seeing a spaceship or two, a UFO. But they always always said it was guardian angels that were helping me. Nobody had an explanation for the UFO. Is it because you're in Texas and basically anything of the type would be probably seen through the eyes of religion? Uh, You know, I've heard that from people in other states, too. But yes, I do live in the Bible Belt, probably the buckle. That's why why I asked you. (laughs) So, yes, you're right. I think so. And, you know, they always look at miracles as having to come from God. Right, right. Now, did you ever try to make the abductions stop? Obviously, that's not working if it's happening still. I did once. Uh, Some people had come out with this information saying that we um, had signed agreements before, signed, I guess, metaphorically, uh, before we were born. And they said that you could disavow that contract So in a meditative state, I focused really hard on saying I didn't want to be taken anymore. I didn't want to be abducted anymore. And it was really strange because all the phosphines disappeared from the field of black that I was looking at. And it was just solid black. And this this thing looked like about a looked like a metal spear, a spear with a point on each end and a sphere stuck on it about 10 inches down from the top point, just floating in the air. And it was very shiny as if it were made of chrome. I've never been able to figure out what that meant. And I'm looking at it and then it disappears and I'm wide awake. And the abductions continued or the visitations. You say the aliens... I'm sorry, finish what you're saying. So I never tried again. It's futile, I guess. Now you say the the aliens are experts at manipulating electrical devices. Did you ever try to record 
any of your encounters with them? And, and have you tried filming your room while you sleep, for example? Um, I tried with the tape recorder first and it never did come on. It had an, a voice activated or sound activated switch. And I figured, in fact, I think I tested it and me getting out of my bed was enough sound to activate it. It never did activate, even when I'd been abducted. So then I decided to use cameras and I had two uh, video cameras and I set up, I, I tried this two nights and it was so dark in the room. I finally went and bought a face mask and I left the lights on the room all night long. I didn't sleep really well, but um, I put a mirror in the room where it's in the mirror. You could see the foot of the bed and the camera. And in the camera's view, you could see the mirror, me in the bed and a clock. And at one point on one of the nights, wasn't the first night, everything just filmed fine the first two or three nights. And then one night, I believe it was around three o'clock. Um, the camera started jerking from side to side, the picture moving from side to side about an inch. Uh, that was the first night. And then that lasted for about 30 minutes. And if I remember right, the clock froze then, and then that was it. Couple of nights later, the uh, the camera moved up the the picture, not the camera. The picture moved up and down about an inch, and the clock froze, and that was it. And it lasted about thirty minutes, and it was also around three o'clock in the morning. And then the third time, the camera went out of focus. Now you can't even. You cannot mechanically or physically focus this camera. It has a complete focus throughout its entire depth of field of picture. Well, they went, in fact, they buy pro, they fix programs where you can make the back part look fuzzy, like a film camera. Well, at one point, the camera goes out of focus. And I think it was that night that a, a light came out of the camera lens and there's no light inside the camera lens. There's not even one in there and you can see it in the mirror. And, um, and it was around three o'clock. And at that point, the next day I looked at it and um, I went, well, this is pointless and I'm ready to sleep some. So I just gave up on that. I did actually switch cameras on the last night. I was using a different camera, the same model, but a different camera because I had two exactly alike and it's the one that went out of focus, but I guess they got tired of just making the picture jump. <laughs> now, when you have that <laughs> clock there, did you observe perhaps the clock move from one hour to three hours later, perhaps? It, it moved from about 30 minutes in an instant. And the, it, it was the time when, when the things were going out of focus and all that. Now, when it went out of focus, you couldn't see the clock. But when it was jumping up and down, you could see the clock and it wasn't moving. And it's interesting that this usually happens between 2 and 4 a.m. in the morning because that's, that's the circadian rhythm. That's when, you know, our biological clock makes us all sleepiest. And if that's the case, well, less of a threat to them. But since you have been... Abducted, let me use that word. Some people don't like that word, by the way. Some people experience. But since you've been abducted so many years, for what, over five decades now, I think, 
have you been, have you had conversations with them, perhaps not verbally, but telepathically as to what's going on here? What is the end game? What is their plan, their agenda? Something you must have learned for the past 50 years. And I'll get your answer on the other side because we have to take our one and only intermission. How can people buy the book, Chosen? It's on Amazon.com. And uh, the easiest way to find it is to look it up by my name, Byron Lacey. Chosen. It's Chosen Chronicles of an Alien Abductee. Good. I was going to say that. Chronicles of an Alien Abductee. Folks, when we come back, so much more. Let's explore this story even, even deeper. And as you know, I'm a black and white person. I like to, I don't like to believe, I like to know. And that's why I want to ask some tough questions. But again, I am not Byron. I am not any of the abductees that I've interviewed before. And the question that most of them get asked all the time, can you provide some direct evidence? Can you provide any tangible piece of evidence that can convince us? And sometimes it cannot happen, so we have to listen to what they have to say. But all of it, when we come back. This is Mel Fambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full-body vibration machines, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy.